<clears throat> Hallelujah. What a Savior. Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. We'll be focusing upon the latter half of this chapter this evening. And this is a very pivotal point in the life of Jacob. We'll begin reading from verse 10 of Genesis 28. Let us all hear the word of the living God. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Amen. Trust the Lord to bless this reading to all of our souls. Let us ask for His help one last time. Our Father, we come, having read Thy Word, acknowledging again our need for the Spirit of God to come and be poured out upon us in this place. Lord, I need to be filled with the Spirit. And I ask that You would undertake for me now as I preach the Word of God, that You would cause it, Lord, to be rightly interpreted, rightly applied O oh God, to all of our hearts, we pray for a word in season for every soul, that everyone 
whether here or listening online or that will listen to this word, oh God, that you will cause it to be a word in season. You will help us to leave this place knowing that we've not heard from man, but heard from God. Lord, help us and undertake for me, therefore, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as I said before our reading, we've come to this pivotal point in the life of Jacob. He has come to sort of a, a down point in his life. He is, as we read in those first verses, he's been sent away uh, from the comfort of his home with his mother and father, and he's lighted upon a certain place, and the sun has set upon him, and he doesn't have anything with him. Uh, even a place to sleep other than on the ground and use stones as his pillow. And so he's in a low place. And I've brought us here because we do often see the name frequently occurring in the Old Testament, the God of Jacob. You'll see that often, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And each time we read that, we're meant to be reminded of certain things when we think about who God is in relation to those three people, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The psalm that we sang, Psalm 46, it repeats several times at the beginning and at the end that he's the God of Jacob. And so as we come here tonight, I've brought us here, the Lord's brought us here, uh, to consider something of what we should remember when we think about the name, the God of Jacob. Uh, Jacob, uh, like the other patriarchs, has typical elements in him of Christ. We can see certain things in him uh, concerning uh, who our Lord would be in a greater sense. But we see in him also an example here especially of someone being converted to Christ. And we'll deal with that more as we go. But he is an example here to us of the Lord coming and converting someone to Christ in these early pages of Scripture, in one of the clearest accounts of that in these early pages of Scripture. And so he is an example to us, and therefore he's a testimony to us of what God can do with any sinner. And as it's been pointed out by others, if he could be the God of Jacob, if he could be Jacob's God, then he could be your God. Noting the wickedness of Jacob's life, which we'll see. But so as we've come to this portion of Scripture, this pivotal moment in the life of Jacob, I want us to meditate tonight and speak to you about God converting Jacob to Christ. God converting Jacob to Christ. And I do. this is Jacob's conversion. I submit to you. You'll see that as we get to the end. But there are several things I want us to notice here as we consider God converting Jacob to Christ. And the first thing I want us to note is Jacob's wicked earthly life. Jacob's wicked earthly life. In verses 10 and 11, we read that Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran and lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place 
to sleep. Now there's a lot of background to those verses. And we don't have time to go back and read everything that's led up to this point. But there's so much that happened before this that led to this point. Jacob has been sent out from his comfortable abode with his parents. And what we might ask, well, why? Why is he being sent out? And you know the stories. But as we think about Jacob's wicked life here, wicked earthly life, I just want us to consider a couple things. And the first is that Jacob was a conniving brother. Jacob was a conniving brother. And that's part of his wicked earthly life. As I said, we don't have time to go back and read, but you know uh, that Jacob was not a good brother to Esau. Uh, Jacob stole Esau's birthright, and he stole Esau's blessing. He is called Jacob, and his name can be translated supplanter. That's really what it means. He's the one who, who comes in and supplants and he replaces Esau. And we might ask, well, why did he steal Esau's birthright back in Genesis 25? Well, he stole it to inherit the blessings of the firstborn. You remember the story. Uh, Esau is out hunting. He comes in weary. And Jacob offers him pottage in replacement for his, in, uh, payment for his birthright. And Esau despises his birthright and gives it up very easily. But in that, we see Jacob taking the opportunity to steal his brother's birthright. And there's many things that we can consider in relation to that birthright and all that it represents. But if you remember, if you keep in mind all that's happened in Genesis so far, Abraham has become very rich, or he, he had become very rich. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. And so Isaac is very rich. And so... Esau, as the firstborn, would have right to a greater portion of the goods of Isaac. And so, what I suggest to you here is that we see something in those early chapters in Genesis 25 in Jacob's life right after they're born and as they've grown up. We see something of his intentions and his character. He steals Esau's birthright because he ha he's looking toward the riches of his father's of his father Isaac. He is out to gain the riches. There's certainly things that could be said regarding uh, the blessings of Isaac that Abraham had bestowed on him and that he was to bestow on his sons regarding the covenant. But I suggest to you that Jacob <clears throat> was after the temporal, that he was seeking those temporal provisions. And we see him stealing Esau's blessing for the very same reason. We see him stealing his birthright and his blessing. The blessing that he steals in Genesis 27, specifically in verses 28 and 29, we can read those, where Jacob has come to his father Isaac in Genesis 27, uh, verse 28. And God says unto him, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. That is the blessing that Jacob received that he stole from Esau. Isaac thought he was blessing Esau. And so as we think about this, what I really want you to just note here about Jacob's wicked earthly life is that he was, he was a thief. He, he did not earn 
this birthright. He did not earn these blessings, but he rather stole them from his brother. And so really, we're just given a window here, and this is just, in some ways, the beauty of the Word of God. You see just a window into the life of a family in the Scriptures. This is, these are a wicked bunch of people. And Genesis reveals that to us almost more than any other book. Right here at the very beginning of the Bible, you're given a window into the sinfulness of man. And what the fall did, it tore apart families. You see that at the very beginning with Cain murdering Abel. And you see it revealed in a different way here with Jacob sinning against his sibling. Now this is really important for us to grasp because Jacob, it seems like he's doing a simple thing. And yet he's sinning before God. Thou shalt not steal. Breaking the commandments of God. And it's amazing to me as we, as we look at this that this is all recorded of Jacob. That the Lord has specifically recorded these parts of his life to show us the grace of God. And where he's going to bring Jacob and what he's going to do with Jacob. So he was a conniving brother. He stole Esau's birthright and he stole Esau's blessing. But also, he was a deceitful son. He was a deceitful son. And this is important to note before we get into that. He was a deceitful son in spite of having a godly father. You think about Isaac. And it's interesting to note the different examples of conversions in Scripture and we're not really told much about Isaac as we are about Abraham and Jacob. Isaac seems to come to know the Lord at a very young age. At least that's the way it would seem when Abraham takes him up the mount to offer him to the Lord. It seems that there's an understanding on, on Isaac's part that he's embracing this picture of what this is. And so Jacob had a godly father and yet we see him being a deceitful son. We see him being in a, in a somewhat of a godly home with a godly father. For example, you look back in those other chapters, you see Isaac going out and meditating or praying in the field. We see him interceding on behalf of his wife in a very powerful way. And so Jacob had a godly father, but that, didn't, that wasn't enough for him. He needed to be converted to Christ. And so as we think about him as a deceitful son, we see him taking advantage of his father. In Genesis 27 verse 1, we're told about Isaac. In the beginning of that chapter, it just notes that when it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And you know the story, he goes on to tell him to go out and come back so I can bless you. Well, Jacob takes advantage of his father in this way. He concocts a scheme with his mother and decides to take advantage of his father's sight disability. So he took advantage of that and then he blatantly lied to his father. In Genesis 27, 24, his father asks him, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And so what do we see him doing here? We see him deceiving his father and sinning against his father. Breaking the fifth commandment. 
dishonoring his father and lying, breaking the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. And just highlighting these things, we see just some of the sins in Jacob's life. And we see that he had, in measure, a wicked earthly life. And we, we look at these things and we think, well, it's not so bad. It's not as bad as it could be as we think about all the things that Jacob could have done. But really, they reveal his heart. They reveal that Jacob was wicked inwardly. And that came out in his actions. As well as to know that all it takes to be a sinner is one sin. There's one breaking of the commandments of God renders us guilty and sinful before Him. And that is what Jacob is at this point in his life. And so we come to these verses in chapter 10, and I mean in chapter 28 and verse 10, and that's why Jacob's here. He has been sent out because his brother was ready to murder him for what he'd done. And Jacob, I suggest to you, he's come to this low point in his life. He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. He, he's weary from his journey and he comes to this place and stays there because the sun is setting and he doesn't have anything with him. And he has to use stones for his pillows. It's a picture here of just the destitute state that Jacob's in. And it's at that moment in Jacob's life where God comes to him. That's a lesson for us. As you see people living in sin, it very often, it very often happens that the Lord will let them go to the point where they realize their misery. And then, he comes. And I suggest to you that, to some degree, is where we find Jacob. Jacob's wicked earthly life in verses 10 and 11. But now, I want you to consider, secondly, Jacob's unique heavenly vision. Jacob's unique heavenly vision. Beginning in verse 12, we're told that he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Jacob's unique heavenly vision. Well, what did Jacob see in this vision? What's going on here in these verses? Well, I suggest to you that in this vision, firstly, Jacob beheld Christ. Jacob beheld Christ. And that's why we're considering this as God converting Jacob to Christ. Because in this vision, he beholds Christ. He sees a ladder set up on the earth. And it reaches to heaven. Well, what authority do I have to say that that's Christ? That Christ is that ladder? Well, we have the authority of the Son of God Himself in John chapter 1, verse 51. And He said unto Nathanael in John 1 verse 51, And he saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, Verily, verily I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. A direct allusion to what we find here in Genesis 
28 in Jacob's vision. Christ showing himself to be that ladder that reaches from earth to heaven. And so I tell you here that Jacob in this vision beheld Christ. Jacob beheld Christ. He saw a ladder that reached from earth to heaven. In other words, he beheld the mediator between heaven and earth. He beheld the way that enables to go from heaven to earth. And just note the language here. This really, how much Jacob understood of all the ramifications of this, we can't really mine into. But at the very least, I can I suggest to you, he knew that he was being shown the Messiah, especially after what God says to him in verse 13, which we haven't gotten to yet. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But he saw this ladder, which was the mediator. He saw a way between earth and heaven, set up on earth. Now, what, what does that communicate to us? It was set up on the earth. Well, we know that the Messiah had to come. And Jacob knew that too. Don't forget, never, never lose sight of Genesis 3.15 throughout the, entire of the entirety of the Bible. Beginning in Genesis 3, we see that the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And all through the rest of the Bible, that theme is carried on, especially in Genesis. And so he knew that Messiah was going to come. That had been revealed. And so this ladder that is set up on the earth, I suggest to you, is just a seed form of what we have in the incarnation of Christ. He who came of the seed of the woman and who was set up on the earth and reached to heaven. It could say that it was set up on heaven and reached to the earth, but it doesn't. It says set up on the earth, reaching to heaven. And I suggest to you, therefore, we have shown to us in seed form just an arrow to the incarnation of Christ and then to the ascension of Christ. That He is the one who's going to come and be set up on the earth and reach to heaven and create the way of access between earth and heaven. And that's who Jacob is seeing. He is beholding Christ. So he beheld the mediator between heaven and earth and heaven. But he also beholds something else in relation to this. He beholds the Father's activity through the mediator. Why do I say that? I say that because of the addition of what he sees. A ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. In other words, he sees activity going on through this mediator. And what I suggest to you we have here is just a glimpse of the fact that the blessings of heaven flow through Christ. We're told that angels are ministering spirits and they minister unto the people of God. And Jacob was going to receive the ministry of angels. If you turn over to Genesis 32... Or just, just hear it. It's a brief text. But Jacob says when he's in Ge uh, Genesis 32, coming back from his uh, labors under his uncle Laban, and when Jacob saw them, or rather 32 verse 1, and Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. 
And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now, why do I say that's significant? That's significant because of what Jacob saw here in Genesis 28. And the Lord's promises that he's going to give him, that he'll be with him. He's going to meet Esau, and he's in fear. And yet he sees the angels of God coming to meet him. This is God's host. In other words, it's his army of protection. And Jacob is realizing in Genesis 32 the benefits of being in covenant with God. That he's being protected by God through these ministering spirits, that is angels. And so Jacob sees the mediator and he sees the blessings that come through the mediator. He sees here the access that you can have through this ladder set up on the earth to heaven and the blessings of it. But he sees in this vision Christ. He beheld Christ. But also in this vision, not only did he behold Christ, but in this vision Christ was preached to Jacob. Christ was preached to Jacob. Follow me here in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it into thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now this is significant because of the latter part of verse 14. It says, In thy seed shall all in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now what is that? That is a repetition of Genesis twelve three as well as what we see in Genesis 17. And what are we told about that verse? We read it earlier in Galatians 3.8. That in that verse, in that text, in that promise, that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham in Genesis 12. And so what is going on here? It's the same. God is preaching the gospel to Jacob. And so in this vision, Christ was preached to Jacob. He is the ultimate promised seed of the covenant. And it's, isn't it glorious? God preaching the gospel to this sinner. The way He'd done to Abraham. And no doubt the way He did to Isaac. You think about that. What was God doing to Isaac through Abraham when he brings him up to the mount to offer the sacrifice. It's a declaration of the gospel. And all through this you're seeing God preaching his gospel. So we see here as, as we think about Christ being preached to Jacob. That the Lord is the preacher. And, and what do you see all throughout your Bible? God is communicating to us that he's the best preacher of his gospel. That all throughout Genesis and all throughout the rest of Scripture, God is constantly coming with these pictures and prophecies of Christ. And in every one of those, He's preaching the gospel. And He's doing that. Not, he didn't just do it historically with these people. When we read this, He's doing it to you. Now, I've made this application before, I think, when I was here in July. I remember dealing with something of a similar nature in relation to Christ's prophetic office. 
But this is it, brothers and sisters. When you read your Bible and when you read these things, if you're here or you're listening online and you're lost, when you read these things, God is preaching the gospel to you. He's declaring His promises of, com of the coming of Christ to Jacob here. And so He's proclaiming them to us. And He is the best preacher of His gospel. So the Lord is the preacher and Christ is the subject. Why do I say that? Christ is the subject. Well, we read about it in Galatians 3 that the promise was given to Abraham and into thy seed which is Christ. That He's the ultimate seed of Abraham. And so when we read these promises, brothers and sisters, when we read especially that latter end of verse 14, in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's referring to Christ. How was the blessing going to come upon all the families of the earth? It was going to come through the promised Redeemer of Genesis 3.15. And that's who's promised here. The same way as it was in Genesis 12.3. And I suggest to you that, that Jacob, to some degree, gets it, as we'll see in just a moment. But he gets it. And note that the Lord also convicts Jacob when he says in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it, he's at the top of this ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. Again, we're supposed to remember those things. In other words, I'm the God that saved Abraham and I'm the God that saved your father Isaac. And now I'm revealing myself to you, Jacob. And then he gives him these promises. And they all denote, yes, there's historical aspects to them, but ultimately we know, Romans 4.13, that the promise was to Abraham that he should inherit the world. That, that the land here referred to is typical of the world. You go read that in Romans 4.13 and you see that. And what do we see Christ doing when he, uh, when he is resurrected from the dead? Right before He leaves His apostles. All power in heaven and earth is given unto Me. Go ye therefore into all nations. Because He is the inheritor of all heaven and earth. And so, Christ is the subject here. He is the one being preached to Jacob. He is the seed. And He is ultimately the gospel. He is the good news that God brings to Jacob. Because again, remember the connection with Genesis 3.15 and all that follows after. It's all pointing back to that. Jacob is being confronted with his need of the Redeemer. And he knows it. And so the Lord is the preacher. Christ is the subject and Jacob is the chosen hearer. Jacob is the chosen hearer. God has come to this lowly man and is revealing himself. He is preaching Christ to this sinner. Why Jacob? Why Jacob? Why not Esau? Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The Lord chose to give this message to Jacob. 
it wasn't, I mean, you think about this just from a, a practical standpoint and the, just the reality of being in, in the family with Isaac. His father was a godly man, not a perfect man, but a godly man. And no doubt Isaac would have told Jacob about these promises. I mean, you think about that. Jacob would have already heard this before to some degree. His father would have communicated, God's made us a promise. He's going to send a seed through us. He's going to conquer the world through this family. He would have communicated all that to him. And yet, even though he'd heard it before, he needed God to reveal it to him. And what a lesson there is in that to all of us here. That though though you've heard the gospel, though you share the gospel, it takes God it takes God revealing the gospel for someone to be saved. And we see that right here with Jacob. And if that's, if that's you here tonight, or if that's you listening online, or someone that listens to this later on, take heed to what you're hearing right now. That, that it's not just... It's not like we're all here just having a nice chat or there's just some man in a pulpit sharing these things. This is God's Word. It's Him who's preaching this Gospel. And as this Word, as we rightly understand it and and as we read it, you you need to hear God's voice saying these things. And so Jacob is the chosen here. And what do we need to learn from that? We need to learn that it's all of grace. It's all of grace. It's the same lesson in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's all of grace. That that God comes to Jacob. He gave him ears to hear. He had to give him ears to hear because he'd heard this before and it hadn't done anything. It's all of grace. It's the grace of God that He chose you to hear His gospel. That He came to you. That He comes to you tonight and that He came to you before if you're here and you know the Lord or you're watching and you know the Lord. It's the grace of God that caused you to be a hearer of the gospel and to hear it effectually. Esau had heard the same things. Not from God Himself, but from his father Isaac. He'd heard the promises, and yet he despised his birthright. So Jacob's unique heavenly vision. He beheld Christ, and Christ was preached to him. Notice with me thirdly here, that after this after God promises these things to him after he preaches Christ to him and tells him even the more blessings of the covenant in verse 15 and behold I am with thee and will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest those are all blessings connected to this covenant that God is making with him in Christ that he'll not leave thee after that has taken place We come to verses 16 and 17. And I want you to see here, thirdly, Jacob's distinct awareness of God. 
Not only his wicked earthly life, not only his unique heavenly vision, but Jacob's distinct awareness of God. Because that's what we're confronted with in verse 16. And that's one of the most striking things about all of this. Is that Jacob had heard these things before, but now God is revealing them to him. And we come to verse 16, and what do we see? Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. What changed between the time that that Jacob laid down there in verse 11 and the time that he's now in in verse 16? What changed? Jacob became personally aware of God. He became personally aware of God. Surely God is in this place. The Lord is in this place and I knew it not. The Lord manifested Himself to Jacob. And you see this. Before this vision, he was not living in awareness of God. And you see this in people. You and I have both seen this. And and maybe, maybe there's someone here tonight who doesn't live in the awareness of God. You see this in people even in a, in a Christian environment. There can be people who don't live in a personal awareness of who God is and that they're in His presence. Jacob had been in this uh, somewhat godly home, although imperfect as it may have been. He had a godly father. He'd been told the promises of God to some degree. And yet he lived as if he wasn't aware of God. We see him stealing, we see him lying, and we see him doing it as if it's no big deal. And yet now we come to verse 16 and he awakes out of his sleep and he says, the Lord is in this place. I'm aware that I'm in the presence of God and before I wasn't aware of that. So before this vision, he was not living in awareness of God, but because of this vision, he was now keenly aware of God. And so what happened? I suggest to you that between verse 11 and verse 16, or rather, into verse 16, Jacob has been regenerated. The Lord has given him the new birth. That's where the change comes from. That's why he didn't know it before, and why he knows it now. There's a distinct awareness of God. And that's what happens when God gives the new birth to a sinner. They become aware. They become more aware of God than they've ever been. They may have heard about God, but they become so distinctly aware that they become afraid. And that's what we see next in Jacob, is that Jacob's awareness of God was frightening. He became personally aware of God and his awareness of God was frightening. For he says in verse 17, And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. In other words, that could be, How awesome is this place. In the right use of that word. That word so abused today. It's a reverent word. It's a word that communicates just the utter awe of something. And Jacob is in awe that he's in the presence of God. This is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. God has met with him. God has revealed himself to him and God has shown him Christ. 
Christ is the gate of heaven. He's aware of God to the point where he's frightened. Why is he frightened? We might ask, why is he afraid? He's afraid because of who Jacob was. He's a sinner in the presence of a holy, majestic God. And he sees himself for the first time in that light. Jacob had been raised in this godly home and yet he needed to be regenerated. He could have he could have thought to himself that it was enough that his grandfather and that his father knew the Lord. But the Lord gave him the grace to see that he needed to know the Lord. That he needed to be trusting in Christ. That's what the Lord revealed to him. And so if there's anyone here, anyone watching, let that be a word to you. Let that be a word to all of us here. That there is, there is, no, there is no ground of salvation to be found in someone else's faith. The question is always, because this becomes difficult sometimes when children grow up in a Christian home and they don't have some dramatic conversion experience and you don't need to chase an experience. Everyone must be born again, but sometimes that's harder to discern when you haven't been out living in the world. The question is always, when you're asking yourself, do you know God? The question is always, what am I trusting in? If you're trusting in Christ, if you're looking to Him, that's the work of the Spirit of God. Because no man in his flesh will look to Christ and Him alone. So Jacob's distinct awareness of God, personally aware and frighteningly aware, and so what does Jacob do? I suggested to you that he was regenerated. But what does he do? That's the fourth and the final thing I want you to see. Is Jacob's strong embrace of God and His promise. Jacob's strong embrace of God and His promise. Verses 18 through 22. And we'll note several things here. The first thing to note is that Jacob wasted no time. Jacob wasted no time. We're told that he rose up early in the morning. Now, what did we, we, in verse 16, we were told that he awoke out of his sleep. He awoke out of his sleep then. So we're, did he go back to sleep? Well, no, I think the sense is he awoke out of his sleep and it was dark. He couldn't see anything. But we're told, as, basically in 18, as soon as it was morning, as soon as he could see, he rose up early. He wasted no time. He arose as soon as it was daylight. And really this is the picture of what the sinner should do. That as Christ is presented to you and you see Him and you, you want to come to Him, that you come to Him. As the Spirit of God works in your heart, you don't wait, but you come. You waste no time to come to Christ. But you come to Him, you, wait, you waste no time. 
Why did Jacob waste no time? He rose up early in the morning because he was sobered. He was sobered by what he had experienced. He was sobered by this revelation. And that is what the sinner should be. Sobered by the revelation of God. Sobered by the gospel of Christ. Sobered by their need for the Redeemer. So Jacob wasted no time in his strong embrace. And Jacob embraced his experience. The whole event he embraced. We see that in verses 18 and 19. He rose up early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. What do we see him doing here? I suggest to you we see him embracing his experience. He took his pillow and made a pillar. And he anointed the pillar and he named the place. Well, what does that pillow represent? That pillow was that stone. That stone that represented verse 11. And when all he had, he had nothing but a stone for his pillow. And yet God has now shown himself to him. God has revealed himself to Jacob. And now Jacob has been the recipient of all these promises in Christ. And so what does he do? He takes that stone that was his pillow and sets it up for a pillar. Now why does he set it up for a pillar? It's a memorial. He anoints it and names the place to be a memorial of his meeting with God. To be a memorial of when God revealed himself to him. That stone represented where he was before God revealed Christ to him. He was, as it were, we might say today, at rock bottom, using a stone for his pillow, and yet he comes now and he embraces his experience. He's saying in this memorial, God has revealed himself unto me, and I want to mark the occasion. I want to mark this time that the Lord's revealed Christ to me. So Jacob embraced his experience. And also, Jacob confessed his faith. Jacob confessed his faith. Verse 20. And Jacob bowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me. Now that word, if, could, and I think would rightly be translated since. I don't believe that it's meant to communicate a conditional vow. But rather, it's a vow in light of what God's revealed. And Jacob bowed a vow, saying, Since God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. That is Jacob confessing his faith, confessing his faith in God, and confessing his faith in God's promise. He says in this vow that the Lord will be with him, that he'll have his presence which is a blessing of being in covenant with God through Christ. That He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He embraces that truth. If God, since God will be with me and will keep me, not only is He going to put His presence with me on this journey, but He's going to keep me, He's going to protect me, and He's going to guard me, which is also a blessing of being in, God, in covenant with God through Christ. And Jacob is confessing his faith in all of these things. And embracing the promises of God in Christ. He uses the covenant name of God in verse 21. Then shall the Lord 
be my God. Note that God revealed Himself to him as the Lord. In verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father. And he says, Then shall the Lord be my God. Jacob confessed the Lord is his God on this day. And Jacob also consecrated his life on this day. Verse 22. For he says, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. God had promised him all these blessings, and he promised them they were going to be temporal, in a sense, pointing to spiritual, pointing to eternal riches. And yet Jacob says, Of all these temporal things that God's going to give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And I suggest to you that that is just a, a window into the fact that Jacob was saying from this moment on, I'm going to live by God and for God. God's going to bless me with these things. I'm going to give them back to Him. He confessed his faith and consecrated his life. This is the work of God in the conversion of Jacob. That's what I want you to see. And I want you to see that because of what we said at the beginning. That if He can be Jacob's God, then He can be your God. And if He's not your God, then you need to come to terms with the reality that being outside of Him, being outside of His protection in Christ is going to render you in a lost eternity. You need to come to terms with who Christ is. You need to hear this word and believe. You need to confess your faith in Christ and consecrate your life to Christ by the grace of God. And all of us here who know the Lord, we need to just take stock of the example. And behold the grace of God. Every time you read that in Scripture, the God of Jacob, I trust you'll, you'll see something of it. Now, a mark of God's grace as we see God here converting Jacob to Christ, converting him into the Messiah, converting him to the Messiah. Sure, Jacob didn't know all the truths of the New Testament, but he knew enough to trust in the coming one who would save his soul. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your mercies to us in Christ. We bless thee, O God, for such revelation. We thank you, O Lord, that you have preached your gospel to us tonight. In thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Lord, what a text. We are thankful that you're the greatest preacher. Lord, and we pray, O oh God, that you'll continually preach to us even after we leave this place. Continue preaching the gospel to us every day, Lord, and cause thy word to be open to us and manifest to us and reveal yourself to us every day more and more. Give us greater visions of Christ through your word. O oh God, let us behold him with the eye of faith. 
And Lord, let us await for His coming. For we know that day is coming where there will be open access between earth and heaven. And that ladder that was set up on the earth will be the means by which the blessings of heaven are realized on the earth. And Lord, we are thankful for that. And we're mindful of those here or those watching online, Lord, that there could be someone who will not be experiencing those blessings with us. But will will we'll rather be experiencing the curse of an eternity in hell. And Lord, we pray that you'll speak to that sinner and bring them to Christ. Thank you for converting Jacob. Thank you for converting those of us here who know thee. Help us, O Lord, to look to thee and to remember thee as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.